Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. We hope you enjoy the show and please feel free to leave us a review. It really does help. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk or our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast. Well, today's show is quite a special show um, because I have three other women with me. I have not done a podcast with three others before. I've not even done two others before. Um, I've only ever done one other person. So it's hopefully I, like we can pull this off as a team today. Um, but I wanted to bring together a different mixture of messages and viewpoints in one very important conversation. And that's all around separation and divorce and how that impacts finances. And one of the things as a financial advisor, the reason I started my business as a female specialist um, is about empowering women with their finances. And unfortunately, my mum's uh, twice divorced, so on her third marriage. Um, and so I see examples of how that's affected her. And she was the one that left. She left my dad. Um, and my stepmom um, was the, was a widow. And I see how that she remarried my dad. I saw how that affected her. Um, my um, mother-in-law is not remarried, but into, into another relationship. And I saw how the divorce affected her. And all of them in different ways have needed men uh, for money. So they've either needed them because they didn't leave them enough when they were widowed, um, or they needed men because to pay the bills because they've been left high and dry and got nothing else to show for it, um, didn't have a good, good divorce lawyer and been left really vulnerable, um, or carried on working really hard and kept the roof over their head. But actually, when it came to retirement, they're, you know, if they weren't with their current partner, they'd effectively be living in poverty. And that is how divorce and separation, it plays a massive part in women's finances. So I speak to a lot of women every day around these matters um, at different points, really, whether they're thinking about separating. So I spoke to a lady a couple of days ago who hasn't told her partner yet. She wants to get herself in the best position two people that separated two or three years ago, but they've only really just got on their feet and they really now need to think about their retirement and that longer viewpoint. Um, to women that who are in it, um, hopefully amicable, thinking that it's going to be amicable and unfortunately often ends up not being amicable, people having to go through court um, to using mediators. So it's a massive area and it's highly complex, very bespoke to people's circumstances. And up until now, I've avoided talking about it. Now, you might be thinking, why? Um, because I, I didn't want to just be known for helping divorcee women, because I wanted to work, help all women in all situations. But what I've realised, and certainly the last two or three years, um, is people are divorcing more. Women are changing. They're seeing their viewpoints. They're putting up with less. They are setting boundaries more. And I think... Some men, and this is the generalisation, um, are not moving with the times. Women are progressively changing and evolving, wanting more things. Um, and therefore, men aren't necessarily keeping up with that. So women, 
I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's a good question to start off with, ladies. Do you think that that might be the case? So are we wanting more than what our predecessor, my nan, for example? Um, what do you think? So I'll just introduce everybody. We've got Natalie, Laura and Ellie with me today. Ladies, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Do I go? Yeah, go. <laughs> okay, so I'm Ellie Foster. I'm a family lawyer and I um, I run a normal consultancy, if I'm going to call it a normal one. So I am a divorce lawyer with McIntyre Law. When I say normal, that's what I mean by that is I help people through their divorce with um, separation, children matters, financial matters, everything on your usual um, pay me and I do the work for you situation. I also do pay-as-you-go appointments as well. But the thing that I have recently done in the last few years is I've also set up a non-normal practice, um, which is basically a situation where I teach people or a service where I teach people to manage their own divorces. And I've done that because it's something that I'm really passionate about helping people to get to access to justice, I suppose, because there's so little of that around. And if you haven't got the money and you haven't got the knowledge, how do you get the fair result? So that's what I've um, started. So before I come back to your question, I'll let you introduce everybody else, Rebecca. Okay, great. Hi, Laura. Do you want to say hello and introduce yourself? Hi, so my name's Laura. I'm, I am currently going through the divorce process. So 14 years married and separated for just over three years now and I've got two children um, that are aged 10 and 14 this year. Fabulous. Natalie. Hi I'm Natalie. I have been divorced now since November 2019. We were together for 12, 14 years about that and yeah so divorced just coming up three and a half years. Um, got two children as well they'll be 15 and 11 this year Perfect. So are we demanding more, ladies? What do you think? Yes. <laughs> I would say I would say yes. Um, I think that I in fact I wrote an article about this, I think it was last year, about whether um there has been a shift in what we're we're calling the silver divorces. People getting divorced a little bit older is one thing because you would naturally think that they're going to want a little bit more. But if you can imagine back to your grandparents or great grandparents, if if you knew them, the chances are granny was at home baking her apple pies and granddad was out earning the money and then either bringing it home and giving the wage packet to, to granny or going down the pub and spending it and bringing back what was left and asking her to go and do the shopping. It wasn't like it is today. Um, and I think that women really had very, very few choices back then that meant they couldn't just decide to get divorced. And when I say just decide, please don't think that I'm saying it's an easy decision to make. But it just wasn't an option for most women back 50 years ago. No, definitely. I mean, culturally, from for me, my grandparents were Scottish and my, particularly my granddad was Catholic. Um, so you you don't get divorced, you know, that does not happen. My dad did, but that's because my mum left. <laughs> so he, mm. he didn't really have a lot of choice, but I think he was adamant he was keeping us. So I was actually brought up by my dad. Um, so yes, I, I totally agree. There's a massive shift in what women want. Laura, Natalie, do you want to jump in? I think Laura, you put your, you, you waved at me when I asked that question. What do you think? I mean, I went into a marriage uh, on the assumption that would be an equal partnership. And and then I think as you go through it, and particularly when children arrive, 
that shifts. And I think the expectation is, again, depending how that, you know, your your husband's been raised, there's still the expectation that despite you working full time, you still have the other long list of things, you know, that need to have those those jobs ticked off. Because mm. it tends to be, and in my circumstances, I was the lower earner, despite still working full time, I've, I've always been the lower earner of the two. So mm. I was picking up everything else as well. And I think, again, I think our tolerance levels are probably less because we have a lot more going on in our lives now than, you know, our parents and grandparents did from a responsibility yeah. and, and, you know, job point of view. Definitely. Natalie, what do you think? Yeah, completely. I, um, I, we were on an even playing field when we first met. We both were working in customer services. I was a little bit higher up in the ranking of the company that we worked in, but only because I was in a different department. Um, I then fell pregnant with our daughter and when I went back to work he'd been promoted which was fine so yeah he was the higher earner but I when we had our second child and I then was made redundant whilst I was on maternity leave I couldn't then go back into a another higher paying role so I had to take the lower pay grade as such but I I like you say, even though I was still working, I was still expected to be the homekeeper. I was still expected to come home and do the washing, the ironing, the cooking, the everything else. And he'd collapse in a big heap on the sofa because he'd been at work all day. So there was always that, but that was the way he was raised. So like yeah. Laura said, that was the expectation. No, he he was he was raised in a very typical traditional sense of the family of the dad went out to work. The mum also went did and did part-time work, but was also expected to take her housekeeping from his wages after he'd spent it on what he wanted to spend it on and that was how he my ex-partner was raised so yeah definitely there's there's more I see a lot of the the women that I know as well that they they want more they want to be able to be more in control and they want to be able to say well actually no I've earned that and that's what I'm going to spend it on yeah. So yeah definitely it's interesting isn't it I mean from my perspective I've been with my partner 24 years I met him when I was 19 um and I uh, more than him uh before I had my first who's 15 so um you know so obviously that was 15 years ago and um I uh, more than him I was a sales manager I break really good bonuses um and but she was born in 08 so anyone that works in financial services or wasn't you know hiding under a rock we had obviously the recession of 08 and I found out I was pregnant, um, 14 weeks pregnant. I told my boss and I was made redundant a week later. So I was heavily pregnant going into the recession in financial services. You can't really go to a job interview with a massive bump. So um, I had to leave the industry for a few years and there were no jobs in financial services. I eventually got a part time job working as an administrator. So the makeup of our relationship shifted. Now I have clients who are, don't have children, uh, who are make, are the main breadwinners. So I'm not sort of categorizing that all women take a step back, take part-time jobs um, and have children. That That's not the case. There's a lot of women out there that, um, you know, earn more than their partners um, and are breadwinners. Unfortunately, there's not enough examples. They're still wanting to divorce their other halves, by the way. But um it's uh it, it, so it's not to sort of say that's that's the case for everybody um but for me it was the case and sounds like for the ladies here today that that was the case things changed when they had children 
Um, and I must admit, those there's this few years that were tricky in trying to work out this new makeup of, well, how are things going to be? I've gone from being the main breadwinner, lost my identity. You've now got to step things up at work and earn twice as much, like earn more money, basically. He felt an awful amount of responsibility because I wasn't working anymore. I went from 50-50, if not, you know, I was earning more, um, to actually I'm 100% reliant on you. That's an awful lot of pressure on one person. I don't think I really appreciated that at the time. I just, I, he was out of the house at seven in the morning till seven at night. Um, I don't know, like, where's there a difference, I guess, where the other person is not susceptible, right? The other person's not listening to the other person's needs in terms of the other, the role reversal, because what ends up happening from, you know, from Natalie and Yorora's experience is more of a case of the person potentially becomes controlling around money and dictates what money is going where and who's getting what and who's doing what. I mean, I think I was, my husband's really great. He gave me money. He, he I wouldn't call it an allowance, but it was maybe like a more of an old fashioned way of doing it. He was like, here's X amount of money each month. And he, he paid all the bills for years. Um, he was so generous. And I guess that's the difference in our stories. You know, relationships go up and down. We've had massive ups and massive downs. But I think through that transition, he was really, um, he wasn't controlling over money. He was really open and generous and I think there's that's the difference in our story and I imagine for a lot of women listening that are thinking about separating that was their starting point it was it was it Natalie was it always about the money or was it other elements what the separation yeah yeah there was someone else oh okay that's a big part but the the I can look back now at the relationship and I can see that he like to the for a perfect example was that he would book a holiday but he wouldn't speak to me about it first so he would go and book a two-week holiday which was amazing and I was really appreciative that we had that income that he could do that but I had just recently set up myself a business as a wedding planner and I had my first wedding that I had planned and he booked the holiday for the weekend of that person's wedding so that was the control part of it got it it yeah so it was or he would um go out and buy the kids new trainers but I was like well they don't need new trainers they need new school shoes if you'd spoken to me and if you appreciated my input and my opinion on this then you would you know we'd be in a better place so that was the that was looking back on it I can see the, the controlling part of the the relationship definitely Right. And then that obviously went into monetary elements as well in terms of how much you, you you know, who was paying for what. Oh, yeah, definitely. So he would it was, well, I I don't want to eat what you've made for dinner. So I'm going to order a takeaway because I can. Or I I keep the roof over our head. So I, I'm going to go out this weekend and I'm going to go fishing. But you can stay at home and look after the kids or it. There was definitely a, that control element of he he used money as a tool basically got it it's a power right a bit of a yeah, power definitely yeah. he had all the power in that in that sense but he will he will always say that um, I the power was with me in the sense of that we always did what I wanted to do so we always went to my family for 
special celebrations first over his family or there was always that little element in the background going on where but there the definitely was the the power over me in the sense that he earned more than me it was his and mine there was never a joint bank balance. account there was never balance it was all his and mine and that was it that was the whole way through but that was how like I said that was how he was raised his mum had her money his dad has his money and that was how it worked Right. And and for, for your perspective, like, what do you think you would do differently if you had that that piece of time again? Communicate more. I do think we, where we had the children and our, our youngest was very poorly at the beginning of 2018. And we got very involved with our own roles within the family so I was spending a lot of time back and forth to hospitals with our son he was having to work a, a really hard long long day job I mean he was the, the role that he had was very involved and um, we also then had to um had our daughter as well to look after so we all we both got very involved in what we were doing and we weren't communicating so I do I will take you know that part of the onus on it as well that there was a relationship breakdown towards the end of before we split up but they definitely I would communicate more and say rather than be scared to say I need some new clothes mm. actually say excuse me hi <laughs> can I <laughs> you know we, we need to go shopping this weekend and we, the kids and I need some new clothes or would you put some money in my bank account please or you know it I'd still have to ask for it and that's the thing I don't know if there's any way around that I could have done that differently but I do think communication was a massive letdown for us both. Yeah, I I I can hit hit. I heard that from when you were talking, um, and I think that's where um, I think I went to my. I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I went to my partner and said, um, "Well, this is these are all the things that I'm paying for. Um, I don't want to be asking you for. I know I said that. I don't want to be asking you for money. So then he got. We, we just set, he just sent me the money as a set amount each month, and that meant that we weren't having that communication and mm. when there was times where I wasn't sure to ask for more because there are eventually there is always something more in that period of time when I wasn't working and even when I went back to work I was part-time there wasn't that much to go around I was paying for childcare, you know which was expensive um and I, th I think I was always there's a there's a really good tool um which is part of one of many's tools that I learned um, and it's definitely helped in my relationship going forward as well and that, that's just just to share that because we're on this subject of communication um and um but men particularly or any of us don't like to get railroaded I don't know about you but sometimes my husband starts talking at me while I'm in the middle of doing something else and it's really frustrating and I can't give it my full attention um so what the tip is is that you ask okay I, I need to talk to you about something when's the best time for me to talk to you about this and then they tell you when and it might be actually now and that's fine but they've given permission for the conversation and then if they said oh actually well why don't we have a cup of tea later about three o'clock I've got a great break in my day and then they're in the right mental state when they sit down they're they're, they're pairing themselves essentially for the worst <laughs> Um, this is obviously when you're dealing with an amicable person of course I'm not saying that you're uh, you know somebody that's controlling abusive is not necessarily going to be susceptible to this level of communication because they're not adult enough to in my opinion um and then you're saying to them look that this that men generally like to be saviors they like to, to save us and that, I don't mean that in a contradictory way that's just like man cave kind of mentality 
Um, we like to be nurturers, women and nurturers. I just mean it in that kind of context. And um, I'd say to my husband, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm finding this difficult. I'd really like this. Can, can, can we do that? Can you, can you do this? Or oh, I need that. Can you help me with this? So it means us having to be vulnerable, which can be hard when you're already maybe feeling quite defensive because somebody's being abusive or controlling it you then don't want you're not in a, a vulnerable position to open yourself up in that way so this is only sort of you know for those that are in maybe you know more uh, amicable situations but i tell you what it's, it's worked um and then he <laughs> he just thinks yeah that's fine like nine times out of ten the answer is yes so it's just a tip for anyone listening out there that's having communication issues that are really earlier on the <laughs> maybe you know maybe they can be saved in some way thank thank you for sharing that laura like um obviously your situation sounds similar to natalie and you're you're in it right now you're, you're more in in uh, in the situation it's more like present right this minute is there anything you wanted to add you know i met my uh to be ex-husbands when i was 16 so it was like my first relationship and like we, you know, we got engaged, we bought our house, we got married, we had our our son, then we had our daughter. So we followed that typical life plan, really, of what you expect to follow. So when we got the house, we set up a joint account. Both wages went into the joint account, the bills went out of the account, and then whatever was left in the pot was left in the pot. And that worked really well for years and years and years. So like you think, well, actually, I want to start going out a bit more now. I want to meet my friends, or you know, then it was sort of everything was 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 there in terms of well how much is left and you know he was like I say he was a bigger contributor to to the income side of it and the childcare bill was ridiculous it was more than the mortgage I think I feel that and I, and I did do this before we like officially separated I started to get my wage paid into my own account and then I'd put a percentage into the joint account to retake to get that little bit of not independence, but feel that bit of control. It wasn't just all going into the same pot, and he really didn't like it at the time, which I can I can understand why he didn't, because we weren't separated at that point. Um, but like I say, I think more so now, people starting relationships now, they do they have the joint account, but they have their own accounts with the money going in, and then they they transfer their portion of the bills into it. And I think, with hindsight, I probably would have done that differently at the beginning, because then it's not a change. So it, you don't, you know, it wouldn't be, well, why is this changing now? Because it's always been the way, the way it's, it's been set up, really. Right. And did you have a similar situation to Natalie where there was other things going on? It wasn't just controlling around the money. Was there other things happening for you? It wasn't particularly money when we were together because, we, like I say, it went into the same pot. It was more like if I wanted to go out and he had to look after kids um like I was studying for some exams and it was like I needed him to watch the kids so I could study and that was like a really big ask you know what I mean like mm -hmm. how dare I want to you know go out and study and have a bit of peace and quiet or if people weren't really welcome in the house so I never had people around to the house um because he didn't like people in the house so it, it was very subtle and and I fundamentally feel that when you're in it you don't notice it mm. so when I took advice many years ago and the lady I spoke to said, keep a diary. Anything that, that happens where you think, hmm, I'm not quite sure if that is under the heading of normal, put it in your diary. And I kept this diary for six months. And when I reread re it in its entirety, it blew my mind to think, 
how could I consider that that was a healthy relationship with those things that were going on? But I think when you're in a relationship long term, it becomes the norm. Yes. Yeah. And it's only when you start discussing things with close friends, which I've only had very few of throughout my lifetime so far, where they th- where you get that. It's not really right. Ah, do you know what I mean? When your friend's going, really? He said that or he's done that. And then it makes you question it. Mm. And I think the more I went down that little rabbit hole, especially because I had postnatal depression after my daughter. So if part of my EAP through my employer, they put me in counselling in order for me to go back to work. And I think through that counselling process, it identified a lot of things in my relationship which were impacting my mental health. Right. Which I didn't see. It took an outsider to, to sort of point some of that some of that out to me to say this isn't a new baby that's caused this. Because I'd already had one child and it went fine. So you know, what, what's the issue with this second one? Mm. Um to point out to me that there were other areas of my life that was probably having a negative impact on my mental health. And that was fundamentally one of the wake-up points in my relationship where I thought, do you know what, this isn't working, this isn't healthy. Yeah, not what you want anymore. Any, have you got any um, anything you'd want to add in, like, in terms of how people that are at that early start, we've talked about a little bit of retrospectively with Natalie and Laura's just mentioned um, what she, um, sort of her first sort of, early days thoughts like what what that looked like for her as a as a lawyer is there any tips that you've got in terms of preparing so Natalie said um, sorry Laura said retrospectively that she would have done things with the bank accounts differently is there anything that you would add to that at all in terms of legally speaking yeah 100% I mean I I can relate to it because I've been married twice I'm still married to my second husband my my first situation was that where I had um, got with my ex-husband when I was 16 had my daughter at 18 so I was always a you know the low owner my career hadn't started so I had a, a you know for the want of a better word a little job I earned a little bit of money but it wasn't an awful lot I was very much a training stage and then I gave up stayed home for six years with the children so at the time that during my first marriage of course my husband called, pulled all the purse strings now I say of course because now I realize that actually the fact that I didn't have an income coming in didn't mean that I was any less worthy or any less of a party to the marriage but to me that was normal it wasn't my money I'd never had my own money and he earned now I'm married to my second husband we've got a completely different setup so we've got a joint account that we both put money into to pay the bills but then we each keep the remainder of our own personal income for ourselves. Um, and there might be things that I want to do on the house or do for things. I don't go and say, well, I want to buy this. Can you give me half? If I want to do it, I buy it. Um, he, we're going on holiday in a couple of weeks. It's something he wants to do. He just said, you fancy going on holiday? Yeah, that'd be lovely. He's just booked it. So we don't necessarily have a big ready reckoning at the end of every month or anything like that some of the bigger (laughs) things of course we have a discussion about but we don't sort of go to a restaurant and say well I paid 12 pounds so you owe me six it it kind of it all comes out in the wash as it were but like you Rebecca I probably see more people's finances more than your average person would sorry um I do see more people's finances and more people's setups than than most people would And I do find it so interesting how few women have their own independent um, bank accounts, especially if they are the lower earner. So the higher earners may potentially have it, but so often the ones who either don't have an independent income, they work at home, they're full-time mums, carers, whatever it is that they do, 
so few people have their own independent money. And when it comes to separation, it puts you at a massive disadvantage because suddenly your husband can go and get the best advice he wants. You can't get anything. There is nowhere for you to get any help. So my tip would be right from the beginning, when you're happily married, establish what the ground rules are going to be. If you're setting up a, a new family and you're about to have a child, who's going to pay for the child? Who's going to pay for any childcare when you go back to work? 50-50 is only 50-50 if you both earn the same. So if you've got a joint pot and you're putting 50% of the bills in, but you earn 10,000 and the other person's earning 100,000, that's not 50-50, is it? It's not equal, even though it sounds it. So get your agreements in place while you're still happily married, if you possibly can, so that you've got a little bit of independent wealth and, and um, you know, a little bit of understanding how money works at the time of any separation that may follow and hopefully it won't but better and, be I, and I totally agree I would I would back that up and I, I did I don't know if I did it as a podcast or a blog but I think there is a I think it's a podcast where I talk a little bit more in depth about this from a financial planning perspective um, and what I say is, is look at the, the your percentage as a um, your income as a percentage against the outgoings so let's just say um, your, your your partner's earning 50% more than you, then you would be paying 50% less than what they would pay in kind of thing. So it's proportionate. Um, and then that way, they're not um, netting more than their equivalent salary, if you like. So it hasn't always got to be 50-50 because actually your earnings, are, are money doesn't work like that. Um, just because you want to be equal, um, well, unfortunately, there's no such thing as equal pay for women. Um, and with like childcare, that should be in the pot. That shouldn't be for the female to pay on their own. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, that grey area starts to become a, a bit too much black and white. Um, and in terms of conversations and managing conversations, I think, you know, having those healthy relationship conversations at least once a month. So you're working out, you know, who is paying for what. If you need it, then so be it. But um, yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, Ellie, from a, a legal perspective, if someone comes to you and, you know, they've got their own bank account, um, but um, they are married, they are earning less, they might be working part time or not at all, they've got young children, um, not necessarily in their 50s or 60s i'm talking maybe like maybe 30 40s um but they have maybe had a, a gap of maybe five or six years where they've taken a bit of a step back in terms of their income um but still maybe working um they own the house they equally but they don't have many other assets he might have a pension they might have small amount of savings not so not we're not talking a lot a lot to play for here what is the legal position of that for that? In that example, I'm saying a woman, it could be a man, but in that example, I'm just going to use a woman. What is their legal standing when it comes to spousal maintenance, child maintenance, and how the, 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 the court's viewing that these days? Because what I'm starting to see is a real difference between older generation and the, and the younger generation. So I'm seeing courts and legal agreements for women that have had a very long period of time out of work i'm talking 20 odd years potentially less likely to go back to work i'm i'm seeing them getting spousal maintenance but i'm only seeing younger generation of women uh, only getting child maintenance um, and, and that seems to be because they're expected to go back to work and they're expected that that child maintenance should sort of equal things out but let's face it it doesn't quite often um, so legally speaking, where do the courts sort of view that now? OK, so if you've been married and it's considered a long marriage, 
Um, unhelpfully, there's no actual definition that, you know, 10 years is long, nine years is short. There's no definition. It's, a, it's sort of a roughly, I would probably now start considering anything over about five or six years, I'd be lumping into the long marriage. And that's not a, an actual definition. I just start treating it that way and let the other side argue down from that if they want to. Um, but normally, by the time you get to eight years, it's a it's a long marriage. Now, the starting point after a long marriage is equality. So it doesn't matter if the house is in joint names or one or the other, it would come into the family pot, it would be considered an asset. Where we start getting more complications, and that would apply to savings and things as well, but where we start getting into complicated areas is the pension and the spousal maintenance. Now, the pension, the reason I say that, if you have been together since you were youngsters, like you've just described with your husband, you were very young when you got together, you probably didn't have, either of you probably didn't have massive pension assets at the time you got to married. So when you then 20, 30 years later get divorced, the whole lot of the pension is in the pot. But if you're in a situation where somebody has built the bulk of their pension wealth prior to the marriage, and then they've separated and it might be three or four or five years before the pension's been resolved. You can understand why they'd argue, well, hang on, that's not that's not all in the pot because I had most of it before we even got married. Now, that's where it starts that it becomes much more blurred around the edges because you can totally see why perhaps and, and I'm going to use wife as the example. It may not be the case. But if a wife has given up work and had to look after the children, she may never have had that opportunity to build her pension properly. So her argument will be, well, of course, I'm going to need half the pension. I can't now. By the time the children are off my hands and I can go back to working full time, I haven't got long enough to build a proper pension. So that's where it's a bit blurred. So there's not one answer on that. Um, I tend to try to really fight hard for pension because pension is obviously one of the biggest assets in most families other than the house. And sometimes it's more than the house. So we do try to, to go, um, I wouldn't say go in hard for the pension. That sounds really um, the wrong approach, but to really make sure that we treat the pensions fairly. In terms of spousal maintenance, however, I've also seen the shift that you're talking about. And there has definitely been a move away from long-term spousal maintenance it used to be called joint lives maintenance there's not so many cases where that would be applicable they may still be applicable if you have a situation where you do have a, a an older um let's say woman who isn't going to be able to go and restart a career having been home looking after children or housewife or whatever term we want to use for 20 years that may be one or perhaps where there are disabilities or some other reason why the person is not going to be able to be financially independent. And that's where the problems arise because the court wants everyone to be financially independent as soon as possible. Um, it doesn't mean they're going to leave somebody out on their ear and, and homeless and unable to make a, um, a life for themselves, but they do need to also appreciate that the other party, the wealthiest party, needs to go on and move on with their life as well. So they try to give some sort of additional payment usually if it's affordable to the the weaker financial spouse so that they don't have to rely on maintenance so given the choice there's usually a preference to either capitalize the maintenance so instead of paying you a thousand pounds a month you know twelve thousand pounds a year for however many years they'll capitalize that so what would that lump sum be and then they'll shrink it down to what's appropriate in the case the problem is whether you're talking about a small money case or a big money case makes a massive difference because if you've got a small money case, the husband may not have that lump sum to give, in which case the only thing they have got 
is the their income. So it is very much shifting away from spousal maintenance, but not to the point where it leaves someone unable to house or look after the children. But I, in my experience, it's more likely to be a term maintenance order, which means for a set amount of time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Accelerate Your Wealth. For further help or to connect with Rebecca directly, please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. Our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on pensions, investments, mortgages, insurances on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast.